Hello and welcome to episode 313 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you in separate locations this week. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champions. And I'm coming to you from Brenton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. Well, uh, I, I got to say, we, we may discuss this later. Last week, we said we wondered whether the Kraken curse was over. Within 48 hours, two Storm players were in health and safety protocols, including Brianna Stewart. I, I mean, this curse is this curse is resilient. I, I do not want to blame the curse for the highly, highly things. infectious disease that is or virus that is spread around the entire world. Like, I don't, I'm pretty skeptical about that one. If it would have been like setting up for like a game five of the WNBA finals and then Brianna Stewart went into health and safety protocols, that's how the curse would operate. But like, it's still unclear to me whether the curse means Seattle teams play poorly or they play just well enough to get our hopes up. It's, it's, it seems to be on a case by case basis. I, I do not consider that part of the curse though. The missing some regular season games at the beginning of the season. Come on. I, it, it didn't feel good in the, in the moment. Let's say we'll discuss that more later. Let's start with this week's beer, uh, which only I am drinking this week. The two beers field day IPA juicy, bright and full to the brim with citra hop aroma. This easy drinking West coast IPA starts clean and finishes with quenching notes of Mandarin and tangerine. So have a field day with us and enjoy today's adventure down to the last citrusy drop. I, uh, I love that you held it up for me on the zoom. Like it was the fucking Truman show. <laughs> You're like, well, the Citra IPA from two beers. I took your word for it that you were actually drinking the beer. Uh, pairs with bratwurst, sharp cheddar, and coleslaw. No, according to nothing pairs with coleslaw. <laughs> that's a that's a good take. I agree with this take. Uh, this is this is one of their seasonal, so always uh, I think a very very smooth uh, drinking beer. So something I was excited to try when I saw that on the shelves of the supermarket. <laughs> Keep filling. <laughs> oh. <laughs> on the shelves of the supermarket, I believe it was aisle 12. <laughs> uh, our toast this week. Let's start with a toast to the listener. I think I... Did I message you how much money we raised with the Pelton Cast hats? It was a, uh, a considerable amount, suffice it to say. I think it's over $600 wow. that we're going we're gonna to have to match. So awesome to see everybody step up for Planned Parenthood. Did we agree and to match that? I, I, that was just a, a unilateral decision. There we go. Hello. So I, you've got to go through the inventory since you've got the hats and see whether we have any left. I think we may be, may be all out at this point. This is awesome to see, though. Uh, I really appreciate how much everybody stepped up uh, and made such generous donations. I don't, I don't think we were expecting that kind of response. Absolutely not. No, uh, I scrolled back $670. Wow. So that's truly incredible stuff from the listener. I'm impressed. I mean, for one person to donate $670. <laughs> really remarkable. All right. Our toasts. I, uh, scheduled toast this week. Let's start with the congratulations to UW shortstop <laughs> Bailey Klingler, who was named the Pac-12 Player of the Year after leading the conference in batting average, home runs, and RBI. Uh, Gabby Plain was the other Husky named to the All Pac-12 First Team. Sammy Reynolds was named to the Second Team. Uh, Klingler was also named to the All Defensive Team, and Kinsey Fiedler and Olivia Johnson made the All Freshman Team. There we go. I love that you said our scheduled toast for the week, as if there are going to be impromptu toasts coming up. There's going to be like drunk groomsmen coming into this podcast. <laughs> Who knows? Well, that was maybe that was, I'll that toast something. That was, I mean, it could happen. That was more because I didn't have the the hats and the Planned Parenthood donations on the uh, rundown. Uh, that's the only specific toast we have, but we do have our favorite segment. Oh, no. <laughs> Listener email. I, I case, fear that I may know what this one's about. From Missouri, the listener. <laughs> Noah Cohen. Oh. Missouri, the listener here. No, not Robert Mays. 
Of course, I enjoyed the uh, hashtag Peltoncast Geography Missouri content in episode 312. <laughs> and while I may not be able to get to 800 words or pages, I do have some thoughts. <laughs> First off, some background. I moved to Missouri, St. Louis specifically, from Seattle in 2006. I thought I'd be here two years. I'm at 16 with no end in sight. Wow. He's like from Tristan. the Lou and he's proud. Yeah. Like Tristan, I was like, dog, I don't know why there's a state above Arkansas. <laughs> When I moved here, and in some ways I still am, but now I have a good job here and own a house here and have two children who are growing up here, so I guess I see some good things too. Okay, so to the Pelton cast characterizations of Missouri in episode I... 312. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into it. Apparently, I, I did these characterizations, and I still don't even know what I said a week ago, because I don't know how there could be a characterization of the state of Missouri, but okay. First, Kevin is spot on in characterizing the oh, western God. and eastern halves of Missouri, or at least the cities anchored there, is very different. I spend a lot of my time in both. My in-laws live in KC, and they have very different vibes. Kansas City just feels more western. Not west coast, mind you, but western, like Denver or Omaha. While St. Louis feels more akin to the Rust Belt, or maybe Baltimore or Philadelphia. To put it another way, and my evidence here is totally anecdotal, Kansas City is city a city of wooden houses, while St. Louis homes are built from brick. Tristan, meanwhile, is right <laughs> that Cardinals fans in the aggregate can be pretty racist. There's a famous confrontation involving white Cardinals fans and Black Lives Matter protesters in 2014 that was particularly awful. Not coincidentally, most fans at Bush Stadium are not from the actual city of St. Louis, but the surrounding exurbs. Kind of like some of the things I hear about Seahawks fans being mostly from Kent, only worse. Mm, Aub- it's not Auburn. a coincidence. Auburn. Yeah. It's not a coincidence, I don't think, that St. Louis' two men's pro sports teams are from the two whitest sports, baseball and hockey. As for the University of Missouri, with all due respect to Mr. Mays, who actually attended, the place reminds me a lot of Washington State. Oh, no. (laughs) And not just because of the Mizzou-Wazoo thing. Both have notable journalism schools and egg schools, are located in the middle of nowhere, though Columbia is much bigger than Pullman, and are the ugly stepchildren of their respective conferences. Wow, there we go. Like you, I have not been to Branson, Missouri, but it sounds terrible. (laughs) My impression is that I-70, the east-west highway that connects St. Louis and Kansas City, also bifurcates the state culturally, such that everything south of it is in the south, if you will, while everything north of it is in the Midwest. Branson, being practically in Arkansas, is a good fit for the SEC, if you catch my drift. Anyway, what do I like about St. Louis? It's cheap. (laughs) Sunny, the food is surprisingly good, and with a relatively sparse sparse urban core, only 300,000 of us live in the city proper due to white flight and decades of disinvestment, there's plenty of room for funky, cool, weird things to do. And a great beer scene, too. I actually think Tristan would really like it. You're both welcome to visit anytime, 10 to 15 children in tow. Perhaps Pelton cast live on the road 2025. (laughs) St. Louis. Here's hoping. Thanks for the Pelton cast. It keeps the drizzle going in my cold, damp Pacific Northwest heart. There we go. I've seen some ticket counts for very successful bands in the city of St. Louis. Uh, I can assure you that the Pelton cast would not <laughs> would not do we're well. Not gonna there. be drunk. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, especially if we're gonna talk so much shit about Missouri. <laughs> go out of our way. That actually might be a better draw. I feel like maybe some, some of those <laughs> bands to boost attendance might uh, want to start talking shit about St. Louis. Uh, just don't say anything negative about Jason Tatum at this point. Oh no, uh, the knives are out. I, I, that that was a great characterization of Missouri, and really, what I heard was that I'm a hundred percent correct. <laughs> <laughs> your your description of Cardinals fans was correct. I think the rest of your geo and Branson, perhaps, although and also the, the University of Missouri, the stepchildren, stepchild of Mizzou. the ACSA. That, that is fair. I feel like if you were like, I've always dreamt of playing quarterback in the Pac-12, which of course no one would say, I feel like Wazoo <laughs> is not the school that you would go to, though. Like, I think it's like Colorado or something like that, where it's just like, I've always dreamed of being a Pac-12 quarterback. And it's like, or Utah. I mean, I, I Utah has actually been kind of successful since they got to the Pac-12. Kind of successful. They've been very successful. They did win the conference last year. So, I, I mean, maybe they haven't won it with quarterback play, really, but like... No, the I feel like Colorado is the least Pac-12 school in the Pac-12. Did we actually say the quarterback's name last week? I feel like we may have left that out. Jabari Johnson, apparently. Oh, okay, I'm assuming that's a soft J, and not Gabari Johnson, uh, which which I suppose is possible. Uh, 
the one thing I pointed out to you when we continued this argument offline is <laughs> for admitting that we continued this argument offline. Oh yeah. For us, Missouri is a Big 12 school. That's what we grew up knowing, even though when we were first born, the Big 12 did not exist, technically speaking. But if you're Jabari Johnson and you're presumably age 17, all the time you can remember Missouri has been in the SEC. So I feel like that is a slight distinction to the conversation that we had. I do not think that anybody is paying attention to Missouri, whether they're in the SEC or in the Big 12. I don't think anybody's like, wow, love those big SEC showdowns that Missouri had for me growing up. What are you talking about? They had some good years under Gary Pinkle. They had some moments. In the, the way, SEC? The, like we thought, I was thinking about like, there, there were notable quarterbacks that came out of Missouri, right? And I think I was thinking of Blaine Gabbert. Uh-huh. But the quarterback who came recently out of Missouri, who's, oh, who's notable, is, of course, potential Seahawks starting quarterback, Drew Locke. Good God. So that's he has, that's your Missouri update. He has Wazoo vibes all over him, too, though. Right? Like Drew Locke? Yes. Like the rapping on the sideline, white quarterback yeah. rapping on the sideline. Come on. You know Kyle would do that shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, that's, that's fair. That is fair. That's our, our cousin who uh, appeared on the <laughs> podcast and lost a bet to us and had to wear a UW hat or T-shirt in in the student section at Martin Stadium during the Apple Cup. A lot of people who'd be yeah. voted most likely to like the Jack Harlow album a little bit too much. Pelton Cast classic. So talking about Missouri actually does transfer us uh, naturally transition us to we have, we have not yet started our search for Seattle's best barbecue. I've started it. You haven't started it yet, but we wanted to talk a little bit more about the parameters of the search because this came up on Twitter from the listener over the past week. Uh, shout out to the the Nebraska listener, Jimmer, for sparking this conversation, which is exciting because there hadn't been, I feel like, a lot of feedback about the barbecue J- search uh, until then. A bit. No, I think there had been a bit. There was the, the talk about <laughs> Korean barbecue. That's true. Jimmer's kind, of, kind of an DMs. instigator, too. Oh, very much so. Love it. <laughs> so... You said that you think this is actually going to be a, he asked, are you judging, you know, a particular cut of meat at each location or, you know, their specialty was, was his question, so to speak. And you said, uh, let me actually read this. Are you all going to have consistent cuts of meats for Seattle's best barbecue, like an order of ribs and brisket every time, or just order every place's signature dish? And you responded, definitely brisket. We'll discuss others, but this is probably really a brisket bracket unless we learn something barbecue in ourselves along the way. I, I, I left out a word there, but... <clears throat> Clearly, about... Uh, and then I said, when would we ever learn something about ourselves during a food search? But Knowing where we started on the chicken search. <laughs> I like the, you reading a Twitter thread. That's really good content. Uh, I'll be deep in the cold, cold ground before I recognize Missouri. Uh, so that's a bad sign for Kansas City style barbecue. Apparently, I, I just the the response was basically like there's different types of barbecue throughout the country, which obviously that's the case. But the other response is we're in Seattle, fucking Washington. Like we are so far away from any place that actually makes good barbecue, right? You seem bothered by this. Are you? I don't so, know if I agree how, with that? Do you think we're near North Carolina or Texas no, no, or no, Kansas no, no. City? Yeah, you know, it's yeah, a yeah, podcast no, no, geography. There's no good barbecue from the Northwest, right? And the amount I, of locations saying, that are here. It's... I don't think we could go to that many locations and be like, wow, that's an amazing KC-style barbecue. Like, there might be one. I Yeah, I'm, there's not that degree of diversity, but not every place here specializes in brisket. I wouldn't say that. I think there are certainly places that are going to specialize in pulled pork along the way which is traditionally more of the Carolina style. So I'm, I'm fine with that. I am okay with that. But brisket is, to me, this is a week one thing. We're going to flash back on this like 10 oh. weeks. <laughs> I love it. I'm excited about it. It is the chicken thigh of barbecue. Do you disagree with that? I, th- I do think brisket is my favorite you know, style of barbecue, but I don't think it's dramatic. I, uh, there's a lot of places I've liked pulled pork, you know, pulled pork sandwiches are delicious. I, 
I don't think it's necessarily a it can't be beaten from that standpoint. Whenever I hear the crooked cops on me on the city talking about pit beef, I'm just like, damn, I need that pit beef. Oh yeah, Lake Trout. They got to do in the first episode. I, no pit beef. I don't, I will, I don't I will want watch the, the first one. So I want far. the pit beef. No, I don't want the Lake Trout either. It does not sound that exciting. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think we go with whatever the place's specialty is. But here's the other thing I want to introduce to you. Okay. So all of these other searches we've done. Yes. Seattle's best burger. You might get some fries to eat. Those weren't a consideration. Seattle's best fried chicken. Wow. You were obviously going to get sides a lot of those places. Not a consideration. I think barbecue is different. To me, the sides are part of barbecue. Wow. It is not just about the meat. And I think, therefore, we should consider the entire meal. It's really, really funny that you say that because I feel like barbecue, maybe more than any other food we're having, is less about the sides than it is about the meat. But, like, if you have really good sides but shitty beef, like, that is not a good barbecue location. I'm happy. I agree with that. I am happy I to judge this in, in the aggregate. It really is like what we're doing anyway. Uh, I mean, there's there's places that came out like I don't like Loretta's fries that much. It didn't affect my score of Loretta's burger. But the burger is so good that it outweighs the fries, right? Yeah. It, it's basically I mean, Which is like, part of why, again, the... You know, you can just go and order a burger and have a perfectly fine meal. The idea that you're just ordering like one slab of brisket and like nothing else, that's that's terrifying to me. Is it? Yeah. Oh, you gotta get sides. I I, I agree with you that sides are part of the experience, but I also feel like again, I think more so than almost any search aside, I mean like ramen doesn't really count, right? Because there aren't sides in the same way, but like and, and teriyaki, we're not gonna judge rice that much or the shitty salad, but like of the, I mean, I, of the ones that you mentioned, like burger, fried chicken. I mean, fried chicken, there was a lot of places we just had fried yeah. chicken. All right. I'm, I'm happy to accept this. I'm happy to accept this, that we're judging the sides as well. But I, 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 I don't want to have any sort of formal scoring, right? That's really what I am the Fine, most against. Yeah. In fact, if I can oh. complain right now about something <laughs> unrelated to barbecue. This is going to be a, uh, Baseball. a coach's course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> You knew where it's going. You already, you already gave me part of this offline. This is Fantasy Genius. Took Luca to uh, a tryout for a baseball team today. All stars, right? Uh, very, very exciting. Took him to this tryout. And the first two state they go through stations, and I think they rate the kids like one through five on each of the things. I'm not sure if you actually see the scoring, but there's different skills in baseball that are less valuable skills than other skills. You cannot say that every single skill is equally important, right? There's some where if you excel at one thing enough, it doesn't actually matter if you're bad at something else. It also depends on what position you're playing. So somebody who is well-rounded and pretty good at everything or even average at everything is probably a worse baseball player than somebody who's really good at hitting, but not that good at defense or really good at pitching, but maybe not that good at hitting, right? Having one skill that you do extraordinarily well is ultimately better for your team than being kind of good at everything in baseball. Would you agree with this? Or at the very least, it's a valuable thing. And if you're judging these things in equal capacity, if you are saying that infield defense, outfield defense, hitting and pitching are of equal value to winning baseball, it is absolutely wrong. Well, obviously that in particular is a poor way to approach it because you, you can't play the infield, the outfield and pitch all at the same time. I mean, you kind of, you, you can kind only of do one of those things. This is children. Like you, you can't, but I'm saying at one, any one given time. And especially if you're like, I assume the all-star competition, it's a little less, let's rotate everyone through every position and a little more, let's settle on our best players. Yes. So I, I, I agree that you're dramatically overweighting defense. And also like if I'm bad at infield defense, but great at outfield defense, the infield defense doesn't matter. Who it's kind of like my cares. It's kind of like my restaurant. Uh, take which is that a restaurant is only as good or as bad as the best item on the menu because i don't need to order the entire menu unless it's a buffet so if they have you know if we're using our barbecue metaphor if the pulled pork is shitty but i'm just ordering brisket it doesn't matter how good the pulled pork is 
So totally I, I agree with your assessment is I guess what I'm saying. So Mrs. Fantasy Genius was like, he was one of the best pitchers. He was in the upper half of hitters. He did really bad at defense. And I maybe you probably should have played defense better or whatever. Strictly fielding also. Arm was okay. And I'm like, that's great. This is great news. But if they actually are like totaling up the scores and being like, that's who you're, who's on your team, you end up with the worst players on your, I mean, they'll probably still have good players on the team. I, I just, right. They will still have good players on the team. But it means that having somebody who could specialize in pitching or whatever, or be a better hitter, if you're sacrificing slightly better infield and outfield defense for worse hitting, that's a really fucking stupid decision. And doing a metric where you were adding up, I don't even know if this is how they scored. I have no idea. But I'm just saying in the hypothetical world where this is how they scored, it's straight up like not having ranked choice voting, right? Like, this is the way that it should be done. You should be looking at the players who are going to give you the most value to your team. And if you only have two pitchers, but everybody else can play fucking outfield defense, you're going to need to pitch more than two players at some point. Also, your players need to hit at some point as well. People don't fucking think about this shit. Which they may be doing. This is completely speculative. <laughs> you are completely making this up. Uh, I, I just, Miss Fantasy Genius was, was a little bit down about the tryout. And I'm like, this is incredible. This is great. This is great news. Hitting and hitting should be weighed so much higher than anything else. Much like in this, you're going to say that the brisket or at least the main, main meat should be weighed more than the side. What I'm saying is that we shouldn't, there should not be metrics that you're judged on one through five. It should be an overall experience. And, and I think, that is the most important thing because, you know, ultimately we're judging these restaurants on the food, but like part of being at Loretta's, like we're not judging the bar or whatever, but the atmosphere is part of it, you know, but we're not like mm. atmosphere one to five. I'm sorry. You who voted against Loretta's were judging the atmosphere. I made a mistake. Never let you live it down. I went back. I revised it. Right. I did the pitchfork, <laughs> erase the grade 10.0 or whatever in the aeroplane of the sea. We're good. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I went back. I did that. I I like Daft Punk now. Like everybody, everybody is good here. I I actually just read about that. I was reading Bill and Sebastian's Wikipedia, which has come up a shocking amount on this podcast lately. And uh, Bell and, and they, Sebastian's they were... Wikipedia has come up a lot on this podcast. I think I definitely Bell and Sebastian got mentioned a couple weeks ago. Uh, I I noted that they regraded uh, uh, the boy with the Arab strap. I believe they went back and gave that a better grade. Yeah. Wow. Timely stuff. <laughs> People so were waiting for the boy with the Arab strap to get reassessed. <laughs> they on the like recent time last year? No, I don't know when this actually okay. was. They didn't they didn't give a specific time frame for when it happened. Okay. They went back it's, last it's, year and they've had decades to do it. Oh god, we're old. Uh, they went back last year and they were like, it was, it was basically like an OJ if I did it type of thing where they were like, we went, they went back and they were like, if we'd graded this correctly, here's what we would have given it. I don't think those are comparable things. Uh, Stuart Murdoch was also on the, uh, the watch. So that was a, that was a good lesson. Wow. It's like all out media blitz from Bell and Sebastian. Yeah. I'm just excited that I've been like, well, I'm actually watching current peak TV so I can listen to the watch and understand their references <laughs> because the vibes are such so great on that pod. Me in 2003 would be very excited about all this Bell and Sebastian talk. So next week, we hope to start our search for Seattle's best barbecue. Do we want to say where, we're, where, where I went, where we're hoping for you to go? Sure. Uh, Jack's Barbecue is going to be the start of our search. It's kind of the, when you're talking about pure brisket, it's the... The reigning belt holder, I would say, at this point in Seattle. We'll see about that. Okay. Did we start our chicken search at Jack's also? I don't think they were the first. I believe Bakabak was our first. Oh, Jack's yeah, was very was early in that search. Uh, another quick Seattle food update. The Pelton Cast crossover is back. Hello. The Pagliacci Grand Salami Burger is again Lil Woody's Burger of the Week with a side of marinara sauce for dipping purposes. And then starting Thursday, the Big Woody will be the Pagliacci Seasonal, the uh, cheeseburger pizza, for three weeks this time. I think it was only around for one week last time. So plenty of opportunity wow. for you to get cheeseburger, cheeseburger pizza. If you're feeling sinister, this will cheer you up. So, <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, 
definitely definitely excited for our sponsors Pagliacci Pizza and Friends of the Pod Low Woodies to be teaming up again. Uh quickly wanted to talk earlier tonight was the NBA I'll, draft. I'll lottery. be there with my best friend if she wants me. Uh <clears throat> The Blazers dropping one spot to number seven did not get the kind of luck that they were hoping for after already not ending up with a second lottery pick because the New Orleans Pelicans made the playoffs. The curse curse strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the Blazers count. <laughs> well, I don't know if the Kraken count any beer in the state of Washington. So clearly oh, the Kraken wow. count Oregon as part of Seattle. <clears throat> So the, the good news for you is that Chet Holmgren won't be going to Portland, which was a, a very troubling possibility to you. It was it was a troubling thought. I guess I was asking you questions about this, and you were like, we have to wait to talk about it on the podcast. I thought this was offline talk. I mean, I guess we could start with the Blazers, but I had conceived the idea. It kind of hit me, and it was like, oh, wow. You know, obviously the lottery, it's four teams. Like, the chances of any individual team, especially from where the Blazers were getting one of those four picks, were fairly low. But like, the, less than fifty fifty. I don't know they were low, but but the idea that they were going to get Paulo was like, oh crap, that might actually happen, and then that didn't happen. It did not. Uh, if we've seen what the Blazers have done, though, they fared pretty well with these types of picks, right? I mean, although it's going to be basically an entirely new front office. So one thing that did happen, I think this was last week, uh, that my my ESPN colleague Adrian Wojnarowski reported that Joe Cronin is getting the job as GM, that they will not hire someone else to that position after he served as interim GM after Neil Shea's departure. But you, you look at B-Roy was pick five, six? Six, I believe. Obviously, they took LaMarcus ahead of him. Uh, Dame was pick six also? Either five or six. I think he might have been six. Yeah. CJ was like pick eight? CJ was pick ten, pick I'm pretty 10. sure. Zach Collins was pick nine. No, um, also ten. But but in that territory, I mean, you look at those two players. Basically, the best players of the Blazers franchise for the last two decades have been taken in the slightly later half of the you know top ten picks. That is true. I mean, I don't think it's a necessarily a bad spot for them to be in here. Uh, looking through the initial mock draft with the uh, lottery position that my ESPN colleague Jonathan Gavoni put out tonight. Uh, he has the Blazers taking it number seven, Jalen Duran, the Memphis center who matched up against Chet Holmgren at the Moda center hmm. back in March in the NCAA tournament uh, was in foul trouble much of that game as, as Memphis mounted a, an upset bid, but uh, fell short. Uh, the guy I really like for Portland He's not a perfect fit for what they want because he's also kind of more small forward size than power forward size, which probably already describes Nasir Little. But uh, is AJ Griffin from Duke, who he, who Jonathan has going eighth to New Orleans, uh, who is a really good three point shooter, versatile player, mo- modern player. Is that the Lakers who pick? Projects that, really well. Is that how they get that? That is the Lakers oh, pick. Oh my god! Yes, it is. Uh, you know, I th- so I. I think he's someone who's realistically got a shot to be on the board at seven. He's who I'd be hoping to uh, end up in Portland, I guess, in all likelihood. Uh, we should also talk about the top of the lottery. Orlando, number one. Jonathan has them taking Jabari Smith Jr. out of Auburn, which means Chet Holmgren God. goes to, to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I can't wait for it. Good or bad, it's going to be amazing, right? No matter what, you stick fucking Chet in Oklahoma City. Like, I hope this happens. I'm going to be a little strong. This is just a mock draft. We'll, we'll see what happens. If, Orlando could take him number one. If this happens, uh, Orlando's had really good success with Gonzaga players recently out of high school in Minnesota. What was the high school? They didn't play high school together. I think they just played AAU together. Did they play high school I together? I thought they I played know. high school together. I think Orlando's learned some things about drafting Gonzaga players after last year. It's been <clears throat> it's one year. There's lots of players who have played as poorly as Jalen Suggs one in year one and oh, gone on to be okay. very good players. I thought you were saying it's one year of Gonzaga players not playing well in the NBA. Because I was like, damn, we have the, well, two, the last know. two decades don't exist. I don't know if you saw Brandon Clark in the playoffs. He was quite effective. Brandon Clark is who you're citing right now? Oh, they did play together. Minnehaha Academy. Oh, wow. From... <laughs> It's like, they, I mean, they managed to find the most Minneapolis sounding high school. <laughs> <laughs> In Minneapolis power. 
Uh, Seattle's own Paolo Bancaro then going third in this mock draft to the Houston Rockets. I feel like there's a lot of question marks with the players at the top, though. Like, when I look at this from the Portland perspective, I mean, I love the idea of Chet going to Oklahoma City. Like, the idea of him, it look, if he's good, there's no chance in hell of that happening. But if he is a good player, that's it's great to have them as a foil. And if he's terrible, it'd be even better. So I think everything about him being in Oklahoma City, not having to worry about Chet Holmgren, just slotting him into a place that I already hate is really, really great news. Again, it's not happened. This is it's still a he mock could, draft. He could go to Orlando and fade into obscurity or whatever. He could he could know number one. Paolo could go number one. I I mean, I wouldn't be shocked by any ordering of those top three players. Um you know, it'll be interesting to see what everyone says about kind of the expectations for that. I'm headed to Chicago tomorrow for the uh, the draft combine. So, uh, is there a clear number four in this draft? Or, I mean, I think Jaden Ivey has generally been considered the number four. Uh, Jonathan has Keegan Murray from Io, who's someone I really like going to Sacramento with the fourth pick because in, Ivy would give them a number of undersized guards along with Davion Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox in that backcourt. They already traded Tyrese Halliburton, who is kind of a little more different, little different player because he's bigger than those two guys, but or those three guys. So those, I mean, Ivy is generally being considered the fourth guy in this draft, but I, I like Murray and Griffin a lot too. And then there's Shade on Sharp out of Kentucky, who uh, did not play any college basketball this year, uh, but is eligible for the draft, and he's kind of a, a blank slate. So it will be a very interesting process because there is no clear cut number one this year. Well, because of the fact that Tristan was doing a little home repair. <laughs> Your favorite segment will not be occurring this week. Uh, Mariners lost two of three against the Phillies to end their homestand last week, then took two of three over the weekend in New York against the Mets before losing the first two in Toronto. Uh, Robbie Ray and Drew Steckenrider not with the Mariners in Toronto, presumably due to Canadian entry requirements for individuals who are not fully vaccinated. Ray would not have pitched anyway after starting on Sunday, so it sort of worked out from that standpoint. Uh, also notable, but you love to have the reigning Cy Young winner. You just paid a bunch of money in free agency. Just not able to start at one of the other 15, 14 teams in your in your league. 14. Uh, also notable, Julio Rodriguez had easily his best game on Sunday, going four for four with his second career home run and a walk. Uh, but still the Mariners third in the AL West, 16 and 21. Uh, in additional draft lottery news, we mentioned that the NHL draft lottery was last week and the Kraken were jumped by New Jersey in last Tuesday's lottery, meaning they will pick fourth in the NHL draft. Still seems likely that they land a player who could help in the you know near-term future and fourth, but uh, maybe not quite as strong a reward as you were hoping for after a, a long inaugural season for the Kraken. All right, Seattle Sounders uh, played... San Jose in the U.S. Open Cup on Wednesday went down 2 nothing at Starfire, but rallied with a Jimmy Madronda free kick and a Freddie Montero goal. Both teams were scoreless in extra time, setting up another penalty shootout oh involving God. a Seattle team that went extremely long, even longer than the one with O.L. Reign and wow. the NHL Challenge Cup the week before. Was this uh, on TV? Cl- it was it was on ESPN Plus. Oh, okay. so I streamed it after the NBA games okay. were were over. I mean, I streamed it the whole time, but put it on the TV after the after the games were over. Uh, Stephen Cleveland got an early stop in goal, but Leo Chu pushed pushed his attempt over the bar, and then both teams traded makes to the remainder of the field players, putting the goalkeepers Hello. at the spot. Cleveland had his attempt saved, and then couldn't stop his San Jose counterpart giving the earthquakes the ten nine penalty win. So a little heartbreak there, but also probably not the worst thing, as we mentioned, for the Sounders to be out of U.S. Open Cup after the extremely long run to the CONCACAF Champions League title uh, now allows them to kind of settle in, focus on the MLS regular season play. And they started their first choice 11 on Sunday with uh, Obed Vargas in place of the injured Joao Paulo at defensive midfield. Uh, playing against Minnesota United FC, still went behind one nothing in the three fourth minute on a Robin Laud goal, but dominated 
play in the second half, equalizing in the 50th minute with Raul Ruiz Diaz penalty kick after Christian Roldan was fouled in the box. Then getting a Roldan screamer in the 74th minute to take the lead and adding an insurance goal from Nico Ladero in stoppage time. Uh, busy schedule this week for the Sounders with two road games against the teams they're chasing to get back in the playoff picture. Houston and Colorado, two of three teams, along with Nashville SC, tied for the last two playoff spots with 1.36 points per match thus far. Sounders currently at 1.11. Well, Rain similarly trying to uh, get back into it after a slow start in league play and a strong, uh, stronger tournament performance. Uh, a scoreless drive Friday in their third matchup against Portland this year, though not for lack of action. Both teams attempted wow, 17 okay. shots, including seven so, on so, goal okay, for the Thorns, but neither could break through the uh, second draw in three head-to-head okay. meetings so far for these two teams. The Rain getting the win down in Portland in the NWSL Challenge Cup. Yeah. Uh, still leaves Rain winless in NWSL regular season action at 0-1-2. Uh, it's another rematch coming up on Sunday as they face the Washington Spirit for the third time in the month of May alone. They lost at Washington in the NWSL season opener and then fell on penalties. I believe that one was 9-8, supposed to be 10-9 for the Sounders in the NWSL Challenge Cup days later at Audi Field. Spirit went on to lose to the North Carolina Courage in the Challenge Cup final. All right, let's continue with the storm. As we mentioned I don't in the open, appreciate how you said home repairs condescendingly. I'm out here fucking replacing water heaters with my own. I didn't say it condescending. It was condescending. I'm I'm literally Ben's two hands personally are replacing water heaters in my house. <laughs> you said two stout men were gonna do it, and I was wondering which was the other person besides. <laughs> The famous cousin Katie's husband Ben, uh, Ben and Luke. Luca. <laughs> okay. He hits and he pitches and he lifts water water heaters. Well, that's why he was struggling with his field and he was too tired from moving water heaters. As alluded to earlier, hours before Wednesday's game in Phoenix, the storm announced that guard Epiphany Prince had entered health and safety protocols. Then, just after Coach Noel Quinn's pregame availability announced, Brianna Stewart had also injured health and safety protocols. Players said they found out about Stewart on the bus to the arena, uh, with just nine players available, including Rena Perez, who had signed on a hardship earlier in the day after the Prince news and met the team because she was there in Phoenix conveniently. Mercury pulled away from the storm in the second half of a lopsided win. Same two teams met again Saturday in Seattle on ABC, and the storm were better prepared to handle Stewart's absence. Uh, had a great game plan for defending Tina Charles, producing a close game like last year's playoff matchup between these two teams that Stewart also missed. Storm had possession three times in the final 30 seconds with a chance to tie the game, but couldn't convert, including a missed Subird pull-up three-pointer with 6.3 seconds remaining. On the bright side, Ezzy Megbegor had a career-high seven blocks tied for the second most in franchise history, averaging four per game so far this season. Uh, Prince cleared protocols on Monday, and Stewart is listed as questionable for Wednesday's game against the defending champion Chicago Sky, uh, despite not yet clearing protocols, which would seem consistent with having one negative test already and need his second at least 24 hours apart to be cleared from health and safety. Uh, Storm will also be home Friday against the LA Sparks, who uh, lost earlier tonight to the Minnesota Lynx. And again, we're down to three with two seconds left. They threw the ball into Liz Cambage. At the rim. What? Under the, log- under the logic that apparently she could either throw it back out for a three in those two seconds, or they would just try for an offensive rebound if they she got fouled. But alas, the bou- pin pass <laughs> bounced off the rim. They did shoot a three. It missed. Bolt, that was some interesting move. Interesting, <laughs> bold strategy, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Chance for the storm to to bounce back if they do get Brianna Stewart healthy, even or back in the lineup. Although, uh, you know, obviously she uh, will still see, need some conditioning work after that time off. Uh, UW softball dropped two of three in their final home series against Arizona State, which had moved up to number four in the rankings on the strength of their series win over UCLA. Gabby Plain shut down the Sun Devils on Thursday, striking out thirteen, allowing just two hits as she went the distance in a three-one win. But uh, Arizona State warmed up Friday, rocking all three UW pitchers, including briefly playing in relief. 
in an 8-4 win. And then in Saturday's deciding game, Plain allowed three home runs that accounted for all five runs in a 5-2 loss. Uh, Huskies finished 14-10, third in the Pac-12, and were reasonably seeded number 13 in the NCAA tournament after their infuriating number 16 seed last year. Uh, they will host a regional this weekend facing Lehigh on Friday at 5 p.m. on ESPN Plus with number 18 Texas and Weber State as the other two opponents in their regional. The winners of those two games Friday will play at 2 p.m. Saturday for a chance to advance directly to Sunday's elimination game starting at 3 p.m. Longhorns finished third in Big 12 at 12 and 6. Five of those six losses in conference play came to Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, the conference's two powers. Are there players? This is the they are both facing the alma mater of CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard in this round, right? <laughs> well, I didn't I did not put that together. Is there wow. somebody who the Blazers could draft this year from the University of Texas? Is well, they have Greg Brown the third. Is he in that Texas. territory? Or he's on the team right now? He's on the team currently. Okay. <laughs> It was a rookie last season. Played many games. It, it was a long second half of that season. <laughs> there were a lot. Turn it on and just be like, I, I have no. I thought. I mean, we're if you so want to go far past like, CJ Ellaby here. <laughs> if you if you want to talk about classic Blazers, you've got uh, CJ Dame and Lamarcus Aldridge mm-hmm. and so. Kevin Durant when they drafted him, number one. Shouts <laughs> oh, to draft Kevin Durant. Is always. I wouldn't be wearing this hoodie that I am today, but the Blazers would have been a lot better. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting question. Like, we had the one season of Kevin Durant, but if he would have been in Portland for like six years and I had watched him play all those games, I gotta say I probably would trade would trade the one year of Kevin Durant in Seattle for like seven years of him in oh, Portland. Oh, yeah, it's not even close. Yeah. Also, you get to take him away from the Thunder, although they do hate him now. It's a complex calculus. <laughs> well, the good thing is they're going to love Chet Holmgren. <laughs> Pairing him and Josh Giddy. What if they, what if they take Paolo? I'm fine with that. Okay. I we'll see. We'll see on Paolo's NBA career. Yeah, but still, he's like he's got a chance to be the greatest player ever from the city of Seattle. You don't, you, you don't think that's possible? I don't know if you're aware of this. I mean, Brandon Roy and Isaiah Thomas, amazing careers, amazing in their primes. Didn't have the longest careers of anyone. Jamal Crawford did have a long career, but never never an all-star. You don't think it's possible for the guy who's going to go in the top three in the NBA draft to be better than any of them? It's possible. Where's Della from? A Centralia. Is he really? Well, that's where he went to high school. He's from Leverkusen, Germany. I don't think we can, can claim Detlef. <laughs> I think there's, you know, there's a kid. Oh, God. Is it is it Leverkusen? There's some ki- like campus or camp or whatever that happens in like the Newcastle area of a German soccer team. And it's so fucking random. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's all over the place. It's the God. What is that team? I don't. Is it BVB? I don't yeah, know. I think it is BVB. What it, what does it stand for? Uh, let's see here. That is uh, Borussia Dortmund. Dortmund. Okay. Uh, I, I th- he has a chance to be the best player from Seattle ever. Like Spencer Hawes had a chance to be the best player from Seattle ever. Spencer Hawes was, you know, he was like the 10th pick, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Like Paolo could be the number one pick of the draft. It's so, very possible. Markel Fultz was also the number one pick in the draft. I, I think this is Markel not, Fultz no, I, has Paolo had, probably will be a good player, but if he but if he goes number one, I I just don't really see it. You're a little too low on him. I'm not the world's biggest Paolo Bancaro fan, but So your numbers, where where do you rank the players who are at the top? You fucking love Chet, don't you? Oh, Chet has the best projection by far. Your numbers yeah. love Suggs too. No, Suggs was okay. He was about where he was taken. I liked Suggs subjectively more than the numbers did, I would say. Your numbers can't project being 60 pounds underweight for an NBA player. He's going to get fucking bodied in the NBA. Okay. Uh, UW football adding a pair of defensive transfers. College of San Mateo edge CK, CK. I don't know if that's a... Uh, 
So Afoa, a Tacoma native, will have three years to play two at UW. Hello. He's an edge. Uh, so, you know, kind of fills some depth at that position. And another big position of need was inside linebacker and UAB linebacker Chris Mall is headed to UW for his sixth season after earning all-conference USA first-team honors in both 2019 and 2020 before a broken thumb cut short his 2021 season after just four games. Mall, who was previously committed to UCF, adds depth at a position of need. They also added pick transfer Cam Bright, but uh, incumbent starter Edifuan Ulifoscio is expected to miss part of the season with the injury that sidelined him for spring practice. So not surprising to see the Huskies add there. Seems pretty exciting. Uh, Chris Mole in particular, also love everything that I hear about CKS. So uh, Afoa, uh, yeah, pretty excited about this group. Feel like the depth that they're building defensively. I mean, you know, we're going to see a UW defense for the first time without Jimmy Lake in a long time and what it really looks like. But I think it could look honestly like ultimately very similar to what we expected over the last decade. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to be, you know, it's a it's an even front in the four two five that they bring from Fresno State as opposed to the, the odd front, although, you know, really it was more of a, I don't know, a two three five a lot of the two three six a lot of the time uh if i correctly add the number of players on a defense because they played so many defensive backs but i there's a like there's a certain style of defense that's effective and jimmy lake they played that style under jimmy lake as they did previously before jimmy lake ascended to kind of that leadership role in the defensive uh on the defensive staff and Fresno State's isn't wildly different. It's you know pretty similar in terms of the the versatile kind of safety slash slot corner type who has to be able to tackle and cover. So, all right, wrapping up with the Seahawks, who saw their 2022 schedule released last week, highlighted <laughs> by Russell Wilson's return with the Denver Broncos on Monday Night Football to open the season September 12th. I can't wait for it. I, I will be there with my Russell Wilson jersey on for the first Seahawks game of the year. I can't, I'm not going to cheer for the Broncos. I will say that. Uh, I'll always, like, I want the Seahawks to win this game. The idea that there are people out there who are mad at Russell Wilson or whatever is just so absurd to me. But ultimately, like, I will cheer for the Seahawks and will love everything that Russell Wilson did as a quarterback. And it'll be in his tenure here. It'll be very sad to see him on the other side, but I'll want the Seahawks to win this game unless they get crushed. In which case I will want the Seahawks to lose every single game of the season. (laughs) Well, look from a long-term standpoint, I mean, you look at next year's quarterback class. That's, that's the thing. If you're a good enough fan, if you are a good enough fan, sometimes you cheer for your team to lose. I I think a lot of people cheered for the Portland Trailblazers to lose at the end of the season. It didn't didn't pay off. They, no, out, they half asked it though. That's what I'm saying. If the Broncos come in and just beat the shit out of the Seahawks, if it's like, oh crap, what have we done? Right? If it's if it's a close game, then whatever. Right. But if the Broncos the, the, come in here, the two exciting scenarios are either the Seahawks win the game, and then it becomes Russell Wilson ain't played nobody, Paul. Or the Seahawks get destroyed, and then it's like a referendum. On, either way, that's a referendum on the trade. If it's just like the Broncos win by four, and there's not a, like a comeback drive or something, then it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that, that kind of worked out like we all expected. The real referendum on the trade is that ultimately it probably doesn't matter for either team. Like, that that's the thing, is the Broncos probably aren't going to win a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson, and the Seahawks probably wouldn't have won a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson either. Like, I, that's a thin definition of what matters. I But, like, ultimately, that's what they're competing for. The Seahawks as an organization, and really the Broncos as an organization, are beyond, this isn't the fucking Buffalo Bills, right? This isn't the Bengals celebrating making it. They are both organizations who won Super Bowls relatively recently, and that's kind of the threshold for success. You may be aware of this. They actually played in the Super Bowl recently. Did you know that? Against each other? Yeah. Not that, yeah. Not that recently. Um, well, well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, that's the real referendum. Like, long-term, that's prob- the reality of what will happen. But, but, if if the Seahawks get, again, I will go into the game 
cheering for the Seahawks. And the second that things turn ugly, I will immediately start cheering <laughs> against the Seahawks because I'm cheering for the Seahawks. It's a long-term perspective. That's You're that's what I don't understand about people who get mad at like their team losing or whatever when they get it's like you're cheering for yourself in the future, dude. Like that's it. Also, let's say that the coaching staff were to change, that's a W for yourself in the future. Like if you I mean I don't think I don't feel like there's that many fans that are like, "Wow, you know, I could never possibly I think that there's a larger segment of fans who will get upset at their team when they actually win." Mm. Seahawks fans? We have not seen Seahawks fans in an actual tanking scenario in a long period of time. And many of these people that you're referring to were not Seahawks fans <laughs> at that point. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, Let's be honest. There, that, again, the, like you outlined, there are two outcomes that I'm hoping for in this game. And a close game, the Seahawks grinding it out, right? Ken Walker, Rashad Penny running a bunch and then like losing a game by four points or whatever. That is not what I want to see. Yeah, you, you just, it should be decisive one way or the other. You know who has uh, issued their their verdict on the Russell Wilson trade and what it means about the Seahawks 2022 season? Who is that? The LA Chargers? The National Broadcasters. Oh, oh well, the LA Chargers, yes. <laughs> uh, who have picked the Seahawks. That They've got that Monday Night Football appearance in week one. It's a troll. Then... It is a troll Monday Night Football appearance. For for the record, it is they're not having they're not having that Monday Night Football appearance because they think it's going to be a good game. It is for the storyline. It is because as we've outlined, there has not been a quarterback at the level of Russell Wilson traded in basically the history of the NFL with where he's at at his age. At his age. That's let's, what I'm saying. Qu- sure. Quality plus prime plus level of prime. It's pretty rare for that to have happened. Plus success. You know, like this isn't Drew Brees going from the Chargers to the Saints or something. Like there is their Super Bowls won and participated in, and he's. Still- well, I think it's more like Favre. Like obviously, it was a later point in his career. Yeah, I mean, but- there have been good quarterbacks who've changed teams at later points in their career, and the NFL recognizes that, and they wanted to fucking troll the situation. You know what? I here's the impromptu test. Unfortunately, I finished my beer already. Wow, that's unscheduled. We forgot to toast to Ben V. Oh, is this public for adding? Yeah, he tweeted about it. All right. Yeah, for for adding to his ten to fifteen children. Happy unscheduled toast. <laughs> we got deep into the pot. I was, I was like, it doesn't appear it was him. Someone tweeted that it was a logical point that the reason to do the game in week one, besides the troll aspect of it, is like. Number one, less chance that knock on wood Russell Wilson gets injured and isn't able to play in the game, which would obviously mm-hmm. reduce the appeal of it. Yeah, or and Drew, Drew two, Locke or G- Gino, right? Like, well, the point is the, the Russell's return. If he's returning on the sidelines, Dr- Drew Locke isn't returning. Noah Fant isn't returning. No, they're not returning. The game is not I in know. Denver. That's patch take Pelton cast geography. Number two, there's less chance of the Seahawks just being like so far out of it that it. It it is no longer a meaningful is meaningful a game despite the return. No, I I think they scheduled it right. Uh, it was definitely was the right call. But anyway, after that, the Seahawks play on national TV. They have the game at Tam- uh, not at Tampa Bay against Tampa Bay in Germany at six thirty a.m. That's the, that's their national TV game. <laughs> and then a Thursday night appearance against hosting San Francisco. A mandatory Thursday night in appearance. week fifteen. That is correct. So I mean, are you surprised? Like, like we already because of the fact that we were playing in the late window, got a lot of like low, low tier Fox broadcast crews this year. We're it's going to be pretty low on those on that packing order. Oh yeah, I gotta say. Oh yes. So, any other thoughts on the schedule? I, I I really don't know. I I just think people who approached it. It's just without Russ, it's not that fun to look at the schedule, right? Like, I mean, it's actually kind of depressing to see the number of bad teams the Seahawks play and be either like, A, you know, if they're worse than these teams, this is a very bad sign, or B, if they beat these teams but don't beat any of the good teams, it just hurts their draft pick now to have this week's schedule. Oh, yeah. No, ev- everything about it is bad. They they just timed. If you're going to trade Russell Wilson, they timed it about as poorly as you could have timed it. 
uh, is a reminder again, week three, Atlanta, week four at Detroit, week eight versus the Giants, week 17 versus the Jets. I don't know if you want to throw in Carolina in there in week 14, another team that doesn't have a quarterback. Uh, definitely definitely some some low caliber opposition on the Seahawks <sighs> schedule this year. Season. And then also the NFC West, which is not low caliber, caliber competition. At least we get to see Justin Herbert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lifelong Chargers fans after that schedule release video. And before. Uh, you it didn't take much pushing. No. I, it really is just like, you look at the schedule and you're just like, I, okay, fine. Like, this is what we're doing. That's I think that the approach, in fact, I don't know if we've really talked about this. The approach that the Seahawks have taken to the season is like, probably the least fun approach to an NFL season for the fans that you could possibly take. Right. I mean, outside of the abhorrent style of play, but like going into it with <clears throat> a like veteran and proven, I fucking love Gino, right? This is again, nothing personal against Gino Smith. Gino Smith is an awesome backup quarterback, but a proven backup quarterback in Gino Smith and a proven bad quarterback in Drew, Drew Locke. Like there maybe, maybe an unproven bad quarterback. <laughs> okay. How many seasons does it take? I mean, he, like, in terms of total starts, he's barely over one still. <sighs> but not having, there's nothing to turn hope to, aside from just losing. And I think the schedule is going to dictate that they're probably not going to be bad enough to, like, look at it where we can be watching the number one quarterback in college and be like, wow, draft him next year. And you also have to have faith that the organization would even do that. And I don't even think... I think the organization would do that. I mean, there's a big difference between them not taking a quarterback in a draft where no one took a quarterback and them not taking a quarterback in a draft where everyone is but very the, excited about the quarterback. There also were other quarterbacks out there on the market. This team fucking loves Drew Locke. And Geno Smith. And Geno Smith. And maybe Jacob Eason. But it, it's it was this was the least fun schedule announced in a decade, at least. Oh, yeah. It's just like, whatever. Who cares? Well, Seahawks football, baby. Like, yeah. That seems like a good now to go out on. At least, Whatever. At least they don't have okay. to play in the state of Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. Thanks for listening. Wait, they don't actually. Do they play in the state of Missouri? Hold on here. I need to go double no, check. Kansas this. City is in Kansas. The Rams moved. Kansas City is not in Kansas. Are you, are you joking about that? <laughs> I can never quite tell whether you're being serious on that. There is a Kansas City in Kansas. The Chiefs do not play there. So they are playing in the state of Missouri. Wait, they're playing the Chiefs? That. Yeah, in, in Kansas City on Christmas Eve. Oh, yeah. So there you go, friend. Little dose. God, who is going to be starting that game? I It's like <laughs> that freaking Chiefs Christmas Eve game is like, I, I think that is going to be straight up darkest timeline for us we're just gonna be like well just wake up and turn on red zone <laughs> like that that is where we're gonna be by the time the seahawks are playing the chiefs on christmas eve just like casually like, check oh. in just to be like they're definitely gonna lose right we're good oh look the chiefs are in the red zone again <laughs> good for that the chiefs might not even care like they might care so little about that yeah, game I mean, do you think by the way which is which is like more depressing the playing the chiefs in Kansas city on Christmas Eve or playing the jets at home on New Year's day on New they think I'm going to go to a jets game on New Year's day. <laughs> That's what they think. Wow. They thought wrong. <laughs> I s swear to God, that's actually happening. That is actually New happening. Year's that is day. Yeah, you should look at the schedule a little more. It turns out I couldn't. I couldn't even. I glanced at it. I was just like, "What do I want to look at this schedule for?" Apparently, I think that's what you should look at it for. I hate the sport of football. Also, you needed the schedule to know uh, approximate timing for Pelton Cast Live, which may or may not be the Friday before the opening game of the 2022 season. When there's hope for everybody, we'll be like Mike Sean. All right, the over under is three and a half. No, <laughs>
<laughs> it's going to be higher than that. The Seahawks have named Jacob Eason the opening day starter. <laughs> Remember we thought Eason might start against the Seahawks in opening day oh, last year? I would have loved it. You mean the Those only the good game they played all year? <laughs> we'll always have that Colts game. Uh, what about the game in week 17? Oh, yeah. When we were we saved Russell Wilson? Yeah. The, the Jets game? Oh, on that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.